last couple of months, it's been really interesting to understand this friendship and partnership that's actually been there since childhood. How, one, how does that develop? And more importantly, how do you maintain a, a partnership like that over the course of so many years? Because I'm sure it's, it's not easy. No, uh, it's not easy. No, it's very, uh, we, we, we met each other in Bergman's class, so we were 12 years old. And so we had we have the mutual Jewishness. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, which is uh, initially. And, uh, we very quickly saw that we had the same creative ambitions. And when you're a very, very young person like that, it's not something you see that often. And so when you are at the weird 12-year-old kid who secretly wants to be a writer, and you meet another weird 12-year-old kid who secretly wants to be a writer, you very quickly bond over that. And, and, and that bonding for us was watching movies. Yeah. Movies are what brought us together. We just had the same taste, exactly. the same interest in how they were made and how they were written and the messages they had. Yeah, we went to high school across the street from a Rogers video, and we would go and rent movies all the time, and, and we really developed a love of movies and and, um, and started working together, writing Superbad when we were 13 years old, and really committed very hard to pursuing that as a career path um, at a very, very, very young age. Yeah, and, and I think because of that, our creative sensibilities really developed together. I, uh, I think we literally developed a codependency. Exactly. We're not fully functional without each other no. when it comes to a lot of it. We may not hold on each other. Yeah. No, it's not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> teenagers, our brains like formed in a similar manner, yes. a similar topic. I wish I did not rely on him as much as I. <laughs> I want to be my own man. Exactly. You'll never be. We're linked forever. I'm sorry. <laughs> but then, you know, I think it's one thing when you're younger and, you know, you have a ton of ambition and, you know, creativity kind of pours out of you. How have you been able to maintain that, specifically from uh, a point of creativity? What, how do you stay inspired? I mean, we, the number one thing is just passion. Passion, yeah. We, we work on things that we ourselves would love. And every time we don't, it goes bad. It goes badly, yeah. And, and, and that is in every element of what we do. It's the one guiding principle we keep coming back to is what what is if we saw it out there in the world, we would be like, yes, I want that. I want to watch it or whatever whatever the product is. And what even to the next level that that's a little that I'm, that I'm not proud of, it's like what would I be jealous of if I if I saw other people doing um, with movies especially, it's that's how I think of it is if I read a script or have an idea, it's like, oh, the best part about this is if I know if I didn't get to be the one to do it, I would be so jealous of the person who did. Um, and that has really guided a lot of our choices is yeah. Is that <laughs> got it? Um, now let's talk about cannabis. That's quick. Let's get right into it. Yeah. Um, what role has cannabis played in your lives, not just as individuals, but also as creators? Uh, I'll, I'll be one. I'll be wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're from Vancouver, British Columbia, which uh, is. So we grew up in an environment, um, at least in our insulated, you know, area that we grew up in, that it was very accepted. Um, it was, uh, it, it was, it was around, and, and it was socially like as kids we didn't comprehend. Yeah, it was. We thought a lot of the world was like that, and we didn't realize Vancouver was. Kind of special. It was, and then I moved to Los Angeles and saw that it really, when I was 16, I moved to LA, 17, and I found that it was culturally viewed very differently there, and it, and it filled a much different role in, in culture there than it did in Vancouver, and 
And, and I really saw that we had an opportunity with our work to help make people view it the same way that we viewed it, and that it was a really additive part of our day-to-day lives, you know? And so I would talk about it on talk shows all the time in a way that every talk show host has come to me. And uh, David Letterman came to me once, and I was just like, why do you keep asking me about this? I've talked about it so much on your show. And he's like, because no one else will talk about it. And I know other people... It's a part of their lives, but I'm, he's like, I'm just fascinated that you're willing to talk about it. Um, and at the same time, we were being very productive. We were producing a lot of movies and making a lot of movies, um, which also, I think, was playing against the stigma of someone who used as much weed as I did, uh, you know, and then do. And then we really tried to start incorporating it into our work in a way that also kind of broke some of those stigmas. Um, like in, I mean, For Your Virgin is an interesting one because there's a scene where me and Paul Rudd are playing video games and we're smoking weed and we're talking about other stuff, but it was actually one of like the first scenes in a movie where people are smoking weed and they're not commenting on it. It is just a part of what they're doing and and they aren't like, you know, pariahs of society. They're just people hanging out in weed. It's as though they're having a glass, you know, they're drinking yeah. or something like that. Um, and that was... I always viewed that as a big step in a good direction. And then, in the meantime, we were writing Pineapple Express, basically. Yeah, Pineapple Express was the moment where we realized how how many people love cannabis and enjoy it and, and it makes a difference in their lives and they feel like it's a normal part of their lives. And it was the first film that was like a giant financial win for a studio that was about cannabis. They were always small, weird right. movies for stoners, about stoners. Yeah. And this was just, it put it in a different lens that it was I a, think it cinema was, never had. It was a real movie with a real budget and, 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 it, and it was a comedy, but it didn't treat it like a joke. No, and it had a story and it was like a very thoughtful you know, uh, analysis of the dynamic between like a drug dealer and someone that they sell drugs to. And, and it's to this day by far the movie that the most people come up to both of us um, telling us they like. And I think it's because it, it really appealed to all these people who, who were forced to secretly love weed and not themselves be able to talk about it or not have it be a part of the culture that they were uh, ingesting and that other people were ingesting in a way that they truly related to. So um, I think we saw that it was like weirdly cathartic for a lot of people to see this like big piece of pop culture that was accepted in mainstream pop pop, pop culture that was all about cannabis, you know, and and the and the relationship between people who use it in different ways, you know. And now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you, Prime Minister Trudeau. <laughs> and so, has that, has that been, has the challenge gotten a lot easier now, the ability to do it? Because you're right, I mean, I don't think many people knew that about 40-year-old version. Obviously, Pineapple Express, you know, a, a critical part of the subject matter. You've talked about it on talk shows. I've seen you do things even online in, you know, recent uh, years on platforms like Mary Jane. And, and now you're starting a brand. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Tell us about, about Houseplant. Um, Houseplant is our cannabis brand. Um, we are currently um, only available in British Columbia. It's where we're from. Um, 
you know, like I said a lot uh, earlier, it's been a huge part of our lives forever, and we really wanted to try to help facilitate bringing that to as many people as, as, as wanted it, you know, um, and doing it in a way that reflected our values and our sensibilities in every way we could. And we found very quickly that we were actually able to put a lot of ourselves um, into the product and into the branding, as you would say. Um, and it became a very creatively gratifying experience um, because we had a few things that we wanted to focus on. One was education, making it accessible for people who had, were new to it. And the other was kind of reverence or elevation, I guess you would yeah. say. Um, you know, I think it's a product that we have a lot of reverence for, and it's something that's traditionally been hidden under people's coffee tables or in the back of your drawer or something like that. And we wish it was something that you were proud to display. Not, not just that you didn't have shame in displaying, but one step above that, that you were actually proud to own and proud to display. Um, it's like not even normalization, but elevation, I think, is something that we were interested in and are interested in because it's not just a normal thing to me. It's, it's, a, it's better than that, you know? Um, so those were really the things we talked the most about is education, design, and how to marry those things, which we, I think, did in a very simple yet effective way, which is something we're very proud of with the product and the brand. Yeah. Yeah, it's something we've been working on for years and years. Yeah, talk to us about that, because I, I don't think people understand how long it takes, A, to, 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 to build a, a brand in general, but when you're talking about cannabis, when you're talking about Canada, where you guys are from, and decided to launch, what was that process like, and what are the challenges been? Um, uh, it was long. It was a long process. The first process was defining the brand and the company in a way that we were proud of and did these things that we liked. And the second was taking time to navigate the regulations in a way that allowed us to create a company that would be long-lasting and something that we could be proud of and something that, again, was we knew we were holding up to the strictest standards because anyone who is in the cannabis space here knows that there is a lot of guidelines involved in what you can do, what you can say. Um, and it actually very quickly became a really interesting creative exercise of how can we function within this box, these guidelines, how do we keep to them in the, in the most strict way we possibly can and still make it seem effortless and not make it seem like there's any guidelines we're adhering to. Make it just seem like it's it, it's, it's exactly what the, the company itself wants to be. And um, commitment to education aligned with that really nicely where design and education kind of collided even within all these regulations. Yeah. We managed to create a design that lends itself to informing the customers what they're getting and how it's to be used. Exactly, so just giving each strain its own simple color palette, and then within that, giving each color palette a logo that has lines that correspond to kind of the desired yeah. effects of each strain. You know, I think those simple things really lend themselves to a design that we think is very beautiful and something we would be proud to display, and also um, is starting to educate people on the different types of cannabis. Um, yeah, a lot of people think that they had a 
bad experience with cannabis because of the cannabis, but a lot of the time it's you're not using it right, you're not using right. the right manner, exactly. the right location. And, the right, and so we started making educational videos, and that was another thing that... Yeah. I mean, um, if, if people haven't seen the houseplant Instagram, it's pretty incredible, and it's... You know, we in our see, see brands and, and pitches all the time. I don't think we've ever seen something, you know, so thoughtful in, in, in these certain manners and can certainly attest to the elevation of that. Talk also about the, the you know, how, how you've been able to marry sort of music into that as well. Because I know that's a, a big part of it as well. Well, I think a lot, a lot of the brand to us was how, we, how can we help bring this company to life in ways other than just the cannabis flower, you know? And again, in a world where there are marketing restrictions, things like that, a lot of regulations, um, again, it became an exercise in creativity. So one of the first things we thought of is we created uh, vinyl records that were strain specific and they each had a mix of songs that were kind of made to, at least in theme, go along with the different strains of cannabis and each one also was designed with the same color palette as our strain. So it to us was again a very simple way of associating the strains with certain activities, certain times of day, certain uses um, while playing into the design and, and what we think is just beautiful about the product itself and something that, again, we would be proud to display in our homes. Um, so it, it's a lot of boxes to tick, but I think we found a way to do it that we ourselves were proud of, yeah. Evan, how has this creative process differed, or what are the similarities to, you know, creating films and, and television shows? Um, and then also talk about, you know, you guys make these really interesting instructional videos, which is kind of like a, a throwback to the 70s, you know, PSAs that, you know, we used to see maybe when we were kids. Um, what's, what's that process been like? Uh, I think that it's, this is extremely different than our other industry that we tend to work in, but a lot of similar things apply, design and communication to audience and all that. Uh, but it, it, was, it was an energizing thing to just be put into a similar but extremely different arena where those skills could be applied but completely differently. Yeah. And it was fun to, to experiment with just like singular images and like actual like packaging, which was something in film we never got to do. Exactly. Yeah, and I think as far as education goes, again, it's been very gratifying to have a very legitimate way of putting out things that we have always thought were important. Portion Control was a video that we made that we're very proud of. Um, and part in it where it expresses, take it slow. Take it very slow. And these are the kind of things that everyone takes for granted that you shouldn't take for granted. Some people will go to these stores and purchase these things. And, and no one's telling you, you know, no one's saying, like, take one hit and then wait and see what happens. And, 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 and they buy a three roll or something like that and they think this is one unit of cannabis. Exactly. And it is not. No, it's not at all. And, and so I think, like, education is something that in order to create customers that trust us more and the brand that we uh, are proud of, and again, is trusted, we're trying to not just hopefully have a good product that is pretty, but to let people understand how to use it in a way that is the most conducive to their enjoyment. If Even if that means using much less of the product, we want that rather than them having a negative experience. And we want to make sure that like, connoisseurs like us, like long time <laughs> users, love it, but also that my mom can go into a store and she'll be directed, 
to houseplant because of how accessible it is. Exactly, that, 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 it's, that it's accessible and warm and simple and again, based on education and, in, and both, and inviting new people into it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you currently have one strain which is available in your hometown of Vancouver. When will it be in the rest of Canada? When is houseplant coming to the US? It's available in all of British Columbia right now. Yeah, okay. So online we, and at retailers. Yeah. Uh, we have a meeting with OCS tomorrow, so. <laughs> We plan on hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, we would like. We're, we're, I, yeah, I, we're announcing that we would soon be liking to announce that <laughs> we are available in uh, Ontario. Well, we're, we're definitely we're taking it slow because we never want to run out of our product. We want to make yeah. sure that we're ready for wherever we're going. But we are building inventory for Ontario right now, and our plan is to come to Ontario next uh, after British Columbia, and we are excited uh, to do that. Very much so. Yeah. And. And then what about your for your uh, your friends down south in the in the U.S. When can we when can we expect well, houseplant stores there? We, it, it touches actually on something that also is you know is happening here in Canada right now in America. One of the we, we would love to come to America. Uh, we live in America for the most part, and um, unfortunately, right now we are not a hundred percent comfortable with the climate in America um, as far as its legality and how. People are being treated still um, in, in as far as how the war on drugs is being enforced in America. Um, but rather than just sit around and hope that it gets better, we're gonna we, we, we are gonna take a very active role in, in creating a climate in America that we feel comfortable being available in. And, right. and so we're starting to work with a lot of organizations in America, um, again, to deal with people with records and employment and trying to fix the wrongs that have happened um, during the war on drugs. And it's a very similar thing here in Canada. Um, I think a lot of progress has been made, obviously, and a lot of headway has been made, but there is still not enough being done in our eyes. Um, to be specific, there's a bill, uh, C-93, that is going um, up uh, to be voted on that we feel needs to be amended. Right now it calls for the pardons for people with um, minor offenses um, and possession, and we think that it should call for the deletion of records for people uh, with nonviolent and modern uh, minor offenses. So if there's any politicians that happen to be here tonight, maybe that would be something uh, to work on, uh, is amending that bill and passing that bill. If there's and, MPs. And, if and non-politicians, you can reach out to your MP. Yeah, reach out to your MP and bring it up because, again, um, there's a, a lot of people who are still... Uh, you know, being very negatively impacted by a war on drugs that has ended, and there are people who are now doing things 100% legally that are, uh, you know, that people's lives are being very negatively affected by, even though what they did is no longer a crime. And we think that we take that very seriously. We care about it very deeply, um, and and it, it's ingrained in in what House Plant is, I think, from the ground up. Yeah. That's great. Um, we only have a, a, a couple of minutes left, and, and I mean, thank you so much 
for for bringing that up around sort of the the corporate social responsibility around around houseplant. Um, do you think you know? Uh, again, we sit at, at an interesting seat. We get to see a lot of interesting people benefiting off of the growth of this industry, and obviously, it's negatively impacted so many. What more can you know? Even brands and cannabis companies in the U.S. be doing, and 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 what should we be? Uh, you know, how can we sort of join this with you uh, on that end and sort of ensure that it's an inclusive industry for, for everyone? Um, I think specifically trying to hire people who have been unfairly targeted by this war on drugs. You know, um, it, it generally targets uh, marginalized groups at a exponential uh, rate, um, even though every every demo, every group of people uses cannabis the same amount if you're a minority you're like several times more likely to be arrested for having it and in America especially it can be outrageously detrimental to your life so I think the thing that everyone can start to do is hire people who would be deemed unhirable because of these offenses and to walk the walk and not just talk the talk and that's something that in Canada we can all do as well um, until their records are deleted we can make the fact that they haven't yet been deleted meaningless by ignoring the fact that they have these things on their records and hiring them anyway and again I think that's something that that can be impactful today not as a hypothetical hope in the future well, I think that's that, that's a great place to, uh, to to end. Thank you guys so much for what you've done as fans, and also for the cannabis industry. And we're uh, looking forward to we can have Houseplant more widely available soon. So are we. Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. <laughs>